Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. All right, Joey, you are staying nice and warm this morning. It's cold. Mm-hmm. Um, you got that huge snuggle blanket on. I just want everybody to get I, a good too bad visual. they can't see it. I stole I stole Jenna's um what color would you call this? It's like a, a really light um, it's like baby blue or yeah, mint robin's green. egg blue, maybe. I can't, yeah, robin's egg blue. That's yeah. Yeah, it maybe That's looks fair. a little green in this orange light in my study. But yes, it's 10 degrees outside. I am wearing a very warm hat and a very warm comfy knockoff comfy from Aldi. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for coming or thanks for being with us for cut for time. Mm-hmm. Um, Joey, you preached from Matthew chapter 12 verses one through 14. Um, would you give us just a little bit of an overview from your sermon on Sunday? Yeah, sure. So um, Matthew 12 is, as we may have noticed right after Matthew 11, So we had just looked at a couple of verses the week before where Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And then there's two stories of controversy on the Sabbath, which is the day of rest. So it immediately contrasts Jesus's offer of the easy yoke, the the light way of life with uh, the Pharisees who are, he, you know, like putting this heavy burden on people of super specific Sabbath observance. And the point of these two controversies, the first one about disciples, Jesus's disciples, as they're walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath, picking a little bit of wheat as they go along and eating it. Uh, And then the second one about Jesus healing somebody on the Sabbath. These are controversies, not just about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, like what's allowed, what's not allowed, but who is really Lord of the Sabbath? Is it the kind of the sort of accrued, um, cultural regulations put on the Sabbath, um, moderated by the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Essenes or whoever, you know, is in charge mm-hmm. of whichever subset of the Jewish community. Um, or is it Jesus who is the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who has the right to say, this is what Sabbath is for. This is how you keep it. This is how you break it. And the one who really gets to interpret uh, authoritatively what the old Testament says about Sabbath practices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in our own life, if we acknowledge, um, Jesus as Lord over our Sabbath or over our spiritual practices, mm-hmm. how does that change? How would that look different than somebody who might be like, well, it's I'm in charge of my spiritual practices, or maybe they wouldn't say that, but that's maybe how they're acting. Right. Yeah. So the, the application of it, because um, like the easy question is to ask what's allowed on the Sabbath and what's not allowed on the Sabbath. Right. And it's like, well, Jesus is saying, hey, guys, you're just a little bit too legalistic about this. Why don't you back off and give people a little bit more freedom and joy and, and stuff like that? And that's not really the point of the passage. The point of the passage is who's Lord of the Sabbath, not what can I do on the Sabbath? And so um, the Sabbath as a spiritual practice, as a gift from God is designed for his people. I mean, it shows like it echoes the creation story and the rest of God at the end of the week of creation. It shows the special covenant relationship that God has with his people. These are the only people to whom he has given the gift of the Sabbath and said, six days you'll work, one day you'll rest, and I will provide for you on that day. And uh, it, it, you know, it prefigures the rest that is to come eternally for the people of God, that one day you will rest in community with God and with one another. 
um, and you will labor, you will work out of that rest instead of working in order to rest, you know, mm -hmm. instead of working for the weekend. Um, right. It's out of that rest that you then express love for God in, in joyful work. So all of this is like a gift that God has given to the Jewish people. And I use the analogy of glasses because I've been wearing yeah. glasses most of my life. And especially when I was younger, I remember, you know, spending so much uh, like mental energy trying not to see my glasses because they'd get dirty. There's smudges all over them. Things would get out of focus or like older glasses technology when you're driving at night and lights would just create these lines on your glasses and you like have to learn how to see through or see past all the stuff that gets on your glasses in order to see through them at the world coming into focus. And so mm -hmm. I think I repeated it a couple of times. It's like, you're not supposed to focus on your glasses. You're supposed to focus on what your glasses bring into focus. Um, and the Pharisees had made this mis same mistake with the Sabbath of focusing so much on it that they weren't experiencing it and what you're supposed to experience through it, the gift of God and rest and fellowship with him and with one another. Uh, instead, it had become about all these regulations instead of the rest. It had become about holiness, quote unquote, you know, keeping a list instead of the wholeness that God mm -hmm. offers, uh, mm -hmm. offers us a taste of or a glimpse of through Sabbath. And so it's like, we can do the same thing with our spiritual practices. You know, we've defined discipleship at faith as any of the habits and practices that we, uh, we undergo in order to um, help ourselves and one another gaze on the glory of God's goodness to us in the face of Jesus Christ. Um, but it, like anything that humans touch, we can quickly and easily turn that into um, like, I'm, I'm doing it to check it off the box. I'm doing it because I feel like I need to do it instead of I'm, ex I'm encountering Jesus through this text, or I want to encounter Jesus through this, this text, this prayer, this song, this celebration, this fasting, this feasting, you know, whatever it is. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that like, there's this guarantee that every time you read scripture, you're going to have this overwhelming emotional experience of God's presence. Uh, right. Sometimes, probably most of the time, we kind of push through what feels like a a lack of um, emotional resonance, say, uh, in those practices, knowing mm -hmm. that God will and has promised to meet us in them, just not necessarily all the time, every time. It, there's sort of this mistake we make, I think, that most of the spiritual practices are about us um, having an emotional experience of feeling close to God when um, most of them seem to, at least in scripture, seem to be a whole lot more about uh, as a community seeking God's face and serving one another. There's, there's one author on this, this whole topic that uh, talks about the practices. Like he says, we, we tend to think of them like spiritual heroin, like, you know, mm -hmm. do your thing in the morning and you're going to get the high for the day. He's like, it's not supposed to be like heroin. It's supposed to be more like food, just sustaining you for the day even if it was just toast and peanut butter in the morning, it still sustains you for the day. And uh, with that energy, then you can serve and love uh, your neighbor and you can serve and love God. That really resonates with me. I kind of want to just pause our conversation. <laughs> like write that down like that, that I understand that. And that is sometimes the pick, like the um, perspective that I have on my quiet mm -hmm. time is it's more, like it needs to be more like heroin than it does need to be more like less like food you know i need to change that 
Um, and is there, there's a place though, for some feeling of obligation to continue to go back to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it is for in sure. that discipline that like repeated discipline over and over again, where you're going to start to see that fruit. Absolutely. You know, um, in her book on solitude and silence, uh, Ruth Haley Barton, who writes a, a lot in this, this topic and is really good. Um, in Invitation to Silence and Solitude is the name of the book. She says, you're going to have to do this for probably about a year before you start to experience uh, the benefit of silence and solitude. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's simply a, pr a practice of sitting quietly before God, um, you know, whether it's in a loud coffee shop where at least all the noise has nothing to do with you, or it's in the quiet of, you know, your room before anyone wakes, anyone else wakes up or wherever you find that, you know, out on a walk or on a run or whatever. Um, it's just sitting before God in uh, silence. Someone else defined silence as freedom from input from other minds. So, yep, just no input from yep. other minds, um, just yourself with God and saying, you know, Lord, I'm here. Um, what do you have for me? And you may have to do that daily for a year, mm -hmm. she says, before you start mm -hmm. to feel it. So, yeah, disciplines are yeah. like in a lot of ways, they are like, um, you know, like, uh, sports practice, right. Uh, our daughter now is in swimming three times a week and we're taking her and she's, you know, figuring out how to dive and how to do this, the strokes correctly and all of that stuff. And it's like, you don't, don't stop doing it because it doesn't feel right. You keep doing it until it does, you know, usually under the yeah. guidance of somebody who's further along than you are telling you like, no, keep doing this. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it will eventually, you'll get there. Yeah. And on this topic of silence and solitude and just starting out a book on prayer that I just completed, the author just suggested, like, just start for two minutes. Like that sounds yeah. like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be like, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start and it's going to be 10 minutes or 20 minutes or something. Cause that seems like it has to be sufficient, right? These are our own, um, our own, us being a Pharisee of over the practice of like setting these ideas yep. that it's like, yep. who said it has to be this certain time. And he was just like, no, just start with two minutes, which actually, if you haven't done it before, it probably will be difficult to try and just sit there and be quiet no input from other minds. Right. And just say, yes. Lord, I'm here. <laughs> and is something miraculous going to happen in two minutes? Likely not. Like I was it, but it's just the discipline of starting, but mm -hmm. also giving yourself a lot of grace because it is Jesus who's Lord over this, mm -hmm. over the Sabbath or over these practices. And that, yeah. And the miracle that might happen is that you, uh, for the first time become aware of how crazy your own thoughts are and how they just spiral and go, whatever. And it's like, okay, come back and shoot, you're gone again. It's all right, come back and you're gone again. And, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, all of the disciplines and practices sit in this really difficult middle ground of either we're way too legalistic about it, like you need to do it exactly perfectly. And on that side of the spectrum, there is definitely room for learning from the wisdom of people who have practiced these things well in the past and have something to teach us. So if somebody says like, hey, eventually you're, you're going to find the most benefit out of a 30 minute long practice, but it's going to take you a year or two to get there. Like our first tendency to say, okay, I have to do 30 minutes and I got to make sure I do this every day for a year. Right. It's like, well, no, th this is someone who's telling you, Hey, this is how it works best. But it took that person 20 years to get to that point. Right. So they're, 
there's the wisdom of those who know how it works. On the flip side, we can easily give ourselves, we can call it, I'm not saying you do this, we can call it like too much grace and say, well, it doesn't really matter, you know, as long as my heart's in it, I'm just going to kind of do my best or, you know, I don't really need to worry about that practice because it doesn't connect with me. Uh, you know, it doesn't give me a sense, an emotional buzz, uh, that spiritual heroin that I'm yeah. looking for. So yeah. um, it's just not fast enough. I think I'll do something else. You know, I think scripture reading and prayer has never really done it for me. So uh, I think watching Netflix is probably my uh, spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. Obviously I'm exaggerating, but yes, yes. yeah, you get the point. Um, yeah. So we got to, you know, not go to the extremes of, of either side, but find it, find that uh, healthy middle, which is tough. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. all right. Thanks, Joey. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to the text. Um, yes. Someone, we've got two questions for you this morning. Um, someone asked if you can explain the difference between the old Testament laws about Sabbath and these other laws, mm-hmm. quote unquote laws that the rabbis and Pharisees followed about Sabbath. And did all Jews at Jesus time follow these additional laws? Yeah, that's a great question. And I didn't do a great job. What I should have done was been really specific about my terminology of just the difference between law and regulations. So like, if you go to, I'll pull it up here, Exodus 20, like here's the law, capital L law, uh, Exodus 20 verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy six days. You shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God on it. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, the rest day and made it holy. Now, Sabbath shows up in other places, you know, in terms of the exile and how the land needs to rest for 70 years because it was all the Sabbaths were stolen from the land. Um, But that's kind of like the core law. And I was talking about like the Pharisees law and things like that. And I probably should have used the word regulation just to specify. So um, I think at the end, I quoted one rabbi who said that the regulations regarding the Sabbath are a mountain hanging by a hair, a mountain Mm -hmm. of regulations hanging by a hair of scripture, um, because that's the hair of scripture (laughs) and then everything else added to it. So, um, so the, to answer the first part of the question, um, the, what I just quoted is the law, capital L law, and how you keep it holy, what counts as work are the debates and the regulations that various rabbis and groups debated uh, throughout Jewish history and continue mm-hmm. to debate today. Uh, multiple different people told me about their experiences recently in predominantly Jewish areas where um, the elevator will stop at every floor on its way up and back down again so that no one has to press any buttons to call their floor because that's work. Pressing a button is you know, defined as work, which isn't a question that people at Jewish in Jesus's day were asking because there were no buttons. So yeah. uh, at least none you could press. So uh, yeah, so these, these are regulations designed to explain what is meant by the word work and rest and all of that. Um, what was the second part of the question? How did, um, where did all this come from? No, did everybody else, did all of the other oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jews during Jesus's time follow these same regulations? Yeah. So it really depended on the part of the country or the Jewish community you were in and who was really kind of viewed as in charge of that group. So there were in Judaism at large, there were kind of two main groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, 
who debated this and other interpretations of the law. They had different uh, assumptions, um, different ways of reading Old Testament law, and so would debate, you know. So if you are in an area where the uh, presence of Pharisees is pretty strong, you know, you would face a lot of sort of compulsion to obey their understanding of it. Um, there was another group called the Essenes who basically withdrew from society. They lived out at Qumran and uh, were just off by themselves. They were even more strict. And so if you were part of that community, then you lived under an even more strict understanding of Sabbath. If you were part of the Jewish diaspora, the uh, Jewish people who were spread out throughout the Greek and Roman world, um, then the kind of the understanding of Sabbath you lived under was, was a lot different because you're living Sabbath with a much smaller community within the context of a, of a broader um, uh, Greek and Roman society uh, with influence from all over the place. So it was a very um, a multicultural context. And so you, you could live the Sabbath, but you were doing it sort of in exile as a small, very small community within a much larger community. So the way you lived it and sort of who decided what you could and couldn't do um, was different based on the, the part of the country or the community that you were primarily part of. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks, Joey. All right. So second question, um, you mentioned that there, whether a sheep falling in a pit <laughs> or a lamb falling in a pit it happened all the time. We don't know exactly, except that a lot of people wrote about it. Yeah. Um, and so can you explain, like, how did you, how do you even come to know that there are um, a lot of documents floating all around of rabbis? Yes. Yeah. Like, where did this information yeah. come from? That it's um, a great debate of the time. I, I highly recommend uh, a book uh, called Jesus in Context, uh, edited by Daryl Bach and Gregory Herrick. It's background readings for gospel study. I'm holding it up to the camera for all of our listeners at home. Just <laughs> yeah. a copy of it. Yep. Um, so this Jesus in context, <clears throat> excuse me, will go through um, every part of the gospels and give you background readings from other documents that reflect on that topic. So uh, if I look up in the cross-reference table here, um, Let's look up or the canonical guide to the readings, Matthew chapter 12, one through eight and nine through 14. They're both on page 80 in here. So if I flip over to page 80, it's going to give me under the question about fasting. Um, <clears throat> oh, that's a, uh, sorry. That's one area, one before. So on the dispute over the disciples plucking of grain on the Sabbath, um, here's a passage from the Mishnah Shabbat 7.2. So the Mishnah is um, teaching by rabbis that are basically written in the margins of the Old Testament. So you'd have a copy of the Old Testament scripture and <clears throat> the, the rabbi's teachings written alongside of it. Uh, so that's where we have a lot of these discussions. So okay. um, this passage from the Mishnah, you know, if at all representative, the kind of prohibitions in Jesus's day reveals the strictness with which the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy was understood. And here's the uh, the generative categories of acts of labor prohibited on the Sabbath are 40 minus one. And here's the 39 types of work. And then in the synagogue Sabbath healings, um, we have uh, excerpts from the Testament of Simeon about the healing of someone's right hand from um, Mishnah Shabbat 22.6 about how a person's not allowed to set a broken bone on the Sabbath from Mishnah Heduyat 2.5 restrictions on medical treatment from Mishnah Shabbat 14.4, um, 
about what what dentists can and cannot do on the Sabbath, what you can and cannot do for uh, a, a sore tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mishnah Shabbat 19.2, there's an excerpt. Um, Talmud Shabbat 16.22, or sorry, Tosefta. Um, this is about how Rabbi Shammai permitted prayer for the sick on the Sabbath, but Rabbi Hillel uh, did not allow it. Um, a Damascus document from Qumran about how far you can let an animal go out and uh, pasture on a, uh, on a Sabbath. So um, yeah, lots in here about, uh, you know, lots of very specifically, what can you do? What can't you do uh, on the Sabbath? So it's, yeah. um, you know, really, really handy. Lots of stuff I, I you know, I didn't bring up. Um, so you can't give charity to the poor on the Sabbath. You can't even give funds to marry an orphan boy and an orphan girl on the Sabbath. Um, you cannot do any matchmaking on the Sabbath. Can't pray for a sick person on the Sabbath um, unless you're of the uh, house of Hillel and then they're okay with all that. So, so it's a, it's a really handy uh, resource and, you know, to go through all sorts of different things. Um, flipping it at random. Um, here's a... Oh boy. Um, Jesus's lament or the prediction of the temple's destruction. And here's stuff from uh, all sorts of uh, different stuff written around the time of Jesus and before Testament of Levi, Testament of Moses, some stuff from Josephus, which was afterwards Jubilees more from Josephus. It's just a Jesus in context. It's really helpful to, you know, understand the background stuff that, somebody reading it right away in Jesus' day would, would be very familiar with the debates and discussions that we're just totally blind to unless yeah. we've got something to help us pull all that out. Yeah, that's interesting. That's great. And what was the name of that book again, please? It's called Jesus in Context. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, happy to link it in our podcast yeah. as well if people are interested yeah. in that. Checking it out. Um, okay, Joey, anything that you wished you could have included in the sermon, whether it was cut for time or maybe not necessarily like the best mm-hmm. thing to talk about in the sermon, but it's nice to talk about after the fact. Yeah, well, I could have <clears throat> done a better job giving a little bit more context of where we are in Matthew as a whole, especially chapters 10, 11, and 12. Um, but I'm going to do that more this Sunday. So I could skip that for now. It's, it's, it's more important in the passage we're going to study this Sunday. Um, okay. You know, one thing I didn't, it would have taken me a good five or seven minutes to try to do this in a sermon context um, is try to emphasize and illustrate um, the feeling with which Sabbath regulations were kept. It's very easy for us to write it off as pharisaical legalism right? Ah, oh, they're just being legalistic. If you don't keep the rules perfectly, then, you know, God's going to punish you or something, or you won't, he won't be happy and you won't go to heaven or something like that. And, and it, there's a sense in which that's partially true, but that's, um, that's not the main sort of thrust of why the Pharisees uh, were so uh, adamant about keeping the Sabbath well. I mean, they were responsible for the spiritual life and health of their community, and saw the Sabbath as one of the primary gifts of God that um, gave people that communal sense of connecting with God. And so their their, um, vehemence isn't the right word, but their um, 
the real emphasis on this uh, was really important and, and it was good, even though it was over applied. So um, for an illustration, I thought about using this particular illustration, but it would have taken too much time to kind of explain it or try to explain away the parts of it that I don't want us to over apply. So I can give it to you now um, with that caveat of like, don't take this too far. Yeah. Cool. All right, we're ready for it. So this is an illustration that I had read somewhere, um, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I shouldn't say somewhere. I know the book that I read it in, but um, uh, You Are What You Love is the name of the book by James Smith, uh, Jamie Smith, James K.A. Smith. Anyway, um, imagine you're at a baseball game or a football game or some sort of collective sporting event, right? What happens before any game in the United States or almost anywhere? We play the national anthem, yeah. right? You play the national anthem and everybody stands and puts their hand on their heart or holds their hands or does some sign of hats respect, off. hats yeah. off, right? All of that, right? It, is there somewhere a list of what you're supposed to do when the national anthem is played at a, at a, a no. There's kind of the generally understood custom of you show respect by taking off your hat, putting your hand over your heart, or at least clasping your hands together, being silent, perhaps singing along. Mm -hmm. um, it's a thing of respect, right? Yep. And uh, Smith in his book says, if you want to understand how deeply ingrained that is in us, try staying seated at a game when that happens. And the people around you most likely are not going to take too kindly to you staying seated. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is at the root of a lot of controversy a couple of years ago about players in football games kneeling. This, that's sure. where it's like, I don't want to use this illustration because immediately it's going to be like, wait, so are you saying they should have knelt or they shouldn't have knelt or whatever? That's not the point. Yeah. Uh, the point is um, the Pharisees emphasizing the keeping of Sabbath isn't legalism. It's much more like being at a baseball game. And the force of the crowd around you saying, hey, this is how you show respect, uh, respect for those who have served in the armed forces. This is how you show gratitude for being an American citizen or living in the United States. This is how you respond to the good things that you've experienced and been given. When the national anthem is played, you stand, you put your hand on your heart, you show respect. And that's the way, I think that's the best analogy for how the Pharisees viewed the Sabbath. It's not a do it perfectly so that God will love us and bless us. Though there's a little bit of that there. It's more about like, hey, we do this because God has given us these gifts. He's taken care of us. He's given us this land. Like we are, we are Jews. We are like all of this. It was a, it was a way of, you know, honoring the and respecting uh, what God has, has given to us. And the, the kind of communal force was very similar to what you would experience at a baseball game if you stayed seated. Uh, and the camera was right on you, you know, on the, uh, on the jumbotron. Uh, what am I supposed So, yeah. so it's in, it's against that kind of pressure that Jesus is yeah, saying, Hey, pressure. look, this is important, but you've missed the point of it. Yeah. Right. So yes, don't work, rest, rest in, in God and in community with one another, but don't get so fixated on, Hey, you need to be standing. You need to have your hat off. You need to have your hands held this way. You need to, you know, be quiet. You need to make sure it lasts this long and all of that stuff. That's not the point. So, um, again, I would need to develop that analogy or illustration better to really make it fit, but that yeah. feeling is what I would have liked to have tried to get across. Um, yeah. 
just in a little bit of defense of the Pharisees, I guess, um, mm-hmm. instead of making them, you know, like bad guys in a Western who are all one dimensional. Like, no, yeah. there's, there's good reasons why they're doing what they're doing. But yes. They've also missed the point. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. It's good context. I'm glad you're able to bring it up in on our podcast. Like that's one of the reasons why we do this, right? Is Ooh, to be able right. to um, kind of include that additional information that maybe didn't make it into the sermon for one reason or another, whether it was cut for time or it was cut for another reason. All right. Thanks, Joey. Thanks for your time this morning. And yeah, this is great. Yeah. We'll be back again next week. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.